Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast. My name is David, and with me, as always, is Bobby. We're exiting the exciting month of March. Say that three times fast, Bobby. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, with that, you may be expecting the world of sports to slow down, but you'd be wrong. So this week, what, the MLB starts? um, Yep, two days from now. Actually, when we release this, it would have started. Oh, that's true, because they start during the day. They have like 12 o'clock games, right? Yeah, yeah. Because everyone's going to be watching at that time on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. Uh, the NBA and NHL playoffs start next month. And kicking off this uh, new month, the final four games, as well as the championship games for the NCAA tournament, will happen on April 1st and April 3rd, respectively. And I read something that like they were expecting a billion dollars of productivity lost <laughs> because of the NCAA tournament that first week, just because of all the games and people tuning in during the day. Yeah. I mean, games all day. Makes sense. I, mean, I was watching. I'm not even that crazy for basketball. I'm here for the madness. The madness is, and it was a crazy tournament. We won't get into it, but uh, the last four teams are Florida Atlantic university, San Diego state university, Miami university, and the university of Connecticut or UConn. We put out an episode on March madness. Go check it out. If you haven't already. The tournament has been an insane, incredible ride. Uh, Bobby, I don't know if you know this, but this is the first tournament where all four number one seeds were eliminated before the round of the Elite Eight. Yeah, I heard that fact. And it makes sense because like, you wouldn't expect the top four teams, in theory, to be eliminated that early. But here we are, and we're guaranteed to have a mid-major team in the finals. That's true. That's true. Also, do you know how many of the four teams have won the NCAA tournament? I'm assuming just UConn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So three of the teams have never won before, so there's a decent chance we get a new winner, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to cover that, just because that's kind of been my whole world this past couple of weeks. Yeah, as I said earlier, the final game is on April 3rd, but three days later, the biggest golf tournament in the world probably begins the Masters at Augusta. Even if you don't follow golf, I feel like you still know when the Masters is happening, mainly due to the constant advertisement during the month of April and March. Uh, Bobby, do you follow golf at all? Not really, but I feel like I've tuned into the Masters more than any other tournament. There's just something iconic about it. And like even every course at Augusta has like a history behind it. I don't think you can say that about many other places. Yeah, uh, I feel like... You know, I haven't had the most exposure to golf. It's kind of not recently, but in the past been kind of, you know, reserved to people with more money. It's it's changed and it's gotten more friendly to all income levels of people. I I played with my uh, grandfather back in the day and he wasn't a very rich man. So, you know, it's it's definitely come down. It's just kind of one of those things that like, you know, people when you think about playing golf, you're like, oh, there's going to be fees to play. Uh, it's going to be expensive, so I feel like there's a lot of people that don't really get into it, and I haven't played since then. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a sport that I think has had a negative connection with you know income for whatever reason. I guess you know courses like Augusta, you you know you and me, there's a very high chance, like a ninety nine point nine nine percent chance that we'll never be allowed to play on that course. Right. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand, and I agree that it's been historically associated with higher income. I think one of the coolest trends we've seen is the introduction of those driving ranges where they serve alcohol and they got the giant nets. 
Oh yeah, uh, like, like the Top Golf's. Top Golf Drive Shack. I don't know if there's other names, but those things are really accessible. They're not the most expensive. It's great for group activity too. Just get people out there, play the sport, and of course, mini golf. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, the dream is to go and like take a vacation in the Outer Banks and then have like a group of friends and we all play each golf course in the general vicinity once. Maybe do a trophy or something and do that like every year. That'd be that'd be a, a blast. Uh, you know, it's I don't know. Mini golf is fun for me, too. Mm hmm. But uh, yeah, let's, let's get into this master's primer. Tell me everything that you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll fill you in. So I figured we'd kick this off with a brief history on the origins of golf. Just I think everyone uh, assumes that golf came from Scotland. And that is, I guess, who is accredited with it. But we aren't 100 percent sure on where golf began. And like most things we're unsure about, the, the beginnings are hotly debated. So some historians trace it back to Rome with a game called Paganica, which involved using a bent stick and you hit a feather stuff ball. I'm not sure if holes were involved, but the leather feather stuff ball is very similar to early golf balls. Another debated origin is a game called Chuiwan, a Chinese game played between the 8th and 14th centuries. And there's a, I have a picture for you, a scroll from the Ming Dynasty. And that's between the 1300s and the 1600s. Shows um, the emperor at the time playing Chuiwan. You can see the holes that they're hitting the balls into have little flags in them, which is kind of, you know, weirdly similar. This looks like mini golf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when croquet came around. I'm pretty sure that one was somewhere in Europe instead, but it's similar vibes, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Chuiwan directly translates to ball hitting. Um, that's what the name means. And I feel like connecting the dots between a Roman game ending up in Scotland that makes a lot more sense, right? That feels like, you know, something we could do easily. More difficult is, you know, a connection to China. But the scholars who back, you know, that connection think that the sport may have been spread during trade during the Middle Ages. And while there are even more contenders for the origin of golf, the last one I want to mention is a Dutch game called Kolf, spelled with a C or a K. And with a name like that, it's hard not to immediately think of golf. <laughs> uh, but this is a game where players use a stick with a metal head. It looks very similar to a golf club. And you hit a ball to a target. First player to do so wins. Uh, if that doesn't sound like golf, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what does. But um, anyway, I kind of went down that rabbit hole and I figured I'd share that information with you. And with England kind of being the powerhouse, even though it was golf was made afterwards, even before they expanded everywhere you can understand and and get uh, how they may have been accredited with something that maybe wasn't theirs before. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. We could talk about, you know, that some other time and I'm not, you know, trying to step on any Scottish people's toes. We'll probably never know the complete origin story. And it might be like soccer, which developed kind of everywhere independently. Right. It just makes sense, you know, but this is a little bit more nuanced. So I feel like that's harder to argue. But a lot of people credit Scotland with the invention of golf. I mean, it makes sense. It's not the most outlandish sport, like hitting a ball with a stick of some sort or a, a club, I, sh I guess we should say. Yeah, I didn't know about China. So that was a cool thing. And I like this little scroll. I'm, I'm amazed that it's been preserved that well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy what, what, what sticks around and what doesn't. All right. So getting back on topic. Sorry, a little bit of a rabbit hole, but. I went down it and then I realized I'd spent a lot of time on it. So I was like, I'm going to talk about it regardless. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. 
So there are four major championships in golf. There is the Masters Tournament, which is what we're talking about, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. The Masters always ends on the second Sunday in April, and it has always been played at Augusta National Golf Club in, you guessed it, Augusta, Georgia. I don't know if you've been to Augusta, Georgia. It's kind of on the border between uh, Georgia and South Carolina. Yeah, it's like right on the Savannah River. I actually haven't been, but my dad and my uncle a few years ago somehow had connections and they got to attend the Masters. I know they had a great time and they're at the age that they can really appreciate it. So like, yeah, that's like a once in a lifetime thing. So I've, I've got some memorabilia with them. I, I've been to Augusta too, but for uh, rowing, I haven't been to the golf course. It does seem like a trip that for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. The American male in me is like, I would like to go to <laughs> watch Augusta. <laughs> I don't even follow golf, uh, you know, regularly. But, you know, for some reason, it's just innate, I guess, uh, for American men. Sports landmarks. Just cross it off the list. Got yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, let's talk about Bobby Jones. So he was a successful amateur, probably the most successful amateur to ever play the game. Uh, professionally, he was a lawyer. But when he golfed, he won 13 majors over his career, including a unique pre-Masters Grand Slam in 1930. Those four wins were the Amateur Championship, the Open Championship, the U.S. Open and the U.S. Amateur. He is the only player to do this version of the Grand Slam. So a pretty, a pretty good player. Hey, we try to compare old greats to the new greats. And it's like, oh, it's more competitive now. It's all it's harder to win in a bunch of competitions. But you can't discredit him for winning that version of the Grand Slam. I mean, that's only person ever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. True. And to not get, you know, paid for it. Listen, you know, that's crazy. Like to just be doing this as like your hobby almost. So um, after he retired from golf, he purchased a pot of land that was a lot of different things, uh, a plant nursery, an arboretum, and an indigo plantation. Uh, But he bought this to create a golf course. He and famous course designer Alistair McKenzie designed Augusta National Golf Club. I'm going to go a little bit off topic, but this was another interesting rabbit hole I went down. So Alistair McKenzie designed over 50 courses. And three are consistently ranked in the top 10 courses in the world, including Cypress Point Club in Pebble Beach, California, Royal Melbourne Golf Course in Australia, and obviously uh, the Augusta National Golf Club. Yeah, I saw his name pop up when I was looking up master stuff this week, but also Cypress Point Club, Pebble Beach. I'm assuming that's just Pebble Beach. Like when golfers say Pebble Beach, that's what they're meaning, right? So I thought that too. And I looked into it and they used to have PGA tournaments at this course. There's a separate course. That's the Pebble Beach course. Um, The reason why is because or the reason why they stopped having them, let's say, is because Cypress Point Club refused to admit black people. And so the PGA pulled out. And I think the first black person to be granted membership was Condoleezza Rice, who is still alive. Like who (laughs) that's that's like that's I don't think she's that old at all. So. they lost their status with the PGA. Wow. Uh, I thought I was just making a, a connection there in my head. Like, oh, Pebble Beach. I recognize that. Yeah, you and me both. Also, Augusta National Golf Club was the last course designed by McKinsey. Uh, he actually died before the inaugural event, which is unfortunate. Yeah, didn't get to see what an iconic thing he created. 
you know, I imagine when you're making something and you've done it for so often and you've made very high quality courses, you know, you're probably thinking you're capable of it, but yeah, to miss it and to not even see the tournament. I mean, I guess he doesn't have to experience that, but that's at least a bummer thinking about, you know, our lives and what we work on. So Augusta National Golf Club formally opened for play in 1933. There was also a thing that said that maybe they had started playing in 1932 and maybe it wasn't formally opened. Um, But 1933 is the date that seemed the most correct for a formal opening. And in 1934, the Masters Tournament was first played. It is the only championship to play on the same course every year and is featured on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and the Japan Golf Tour. Now, Bobby, I'm going to ask you a question that you probably don't know the answer to, but the course record for Augusta National is held by two men. They both shot 63, uh, I think par 72, uh, 10 years apart in 1986 and 1996. <laughs> and, uh, you'll see why I'm asking you this question when I, uh, when I tell you the answer, but can you guess or do you know what, either of these men? I feel like it's probably people I don't know, but I'll just say Jack Nicklaus was one of them. <laughs> okay, so... No, and I feel like this is very normal for golf records, but I feel like I've found that typically when someone sets the record, they typically don't win that year. And I think that was true for this. But one is Greg Norman, who was the 1996 player. And one is Nick Price, who, if you remember from the Zimbabwe episode. We did cover him. Yeah, we, we covered him. So I thought that was neat. Callbacks. Go listen to it. It's like one <laughs> of the old ones. <laughs> uh all right. So, yeah, just a brief aside. I was you know, looking up stuff and that popped up and I was like, what? <laughs> so I had, to, I had to cover it. So, Bobby, what do you think about when you think of the Masters? Well, the first thing is the green jackets. That is it's not a trophy, but to me, that's like up there with the Stanley Cup. That's just an iconic thing. Like you want to win that jacket. That's all I'd care about. <laughs> yeah, true. I So I yeah. So obviously, if you win, you get one. But I found out that you have to return the jacket after one year and it stays in the clubhouse. It's yours, but it stays there. And if you win again, uh, unless you need a newly fitted jacket, like something's changed, uh, you're presented with the original jacket or the last fitted one when you win. And it's locked in a cloakroom at Augusta National. And typically you can only remove it if you just won it's your first championship or if you know, you're know you a reigning champion. So you won down the line, you can have it for that year. Um, but otherwise it stays locked up, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, they call it your property and they keep it locked up for you. Okay, okay, whatever, Augusta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, you know, think that some people have just multiple green jackets in their closet, but it's not like that at all. Yeah, go out there celebrating on a Sunday night, just going out on the town. I want to wear my green jacket. I earned this. I'm going <laughs> to wear two. Keep one for the car, one for the boat, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you can do that for the first year, but after that, no. Not allowed. Um, I do have one thing about the green jackets. So minor league baseball, as you might know, David, have some really well-branded team names. And one of those is the Augusta Green Jackets. They're the single A affiliate for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, They're actually based in North Augusta, which is in South Carolina. But their logo is a yellow jacket, except it's colored in green. And it's wearing the, uh, I think it's called the Tommy hat. It's like the Scottish golf cap. Yeah, yeah. I, really cool logo, really cool team name. Yeah, that is sweet. I don't I don't think I've heard of them, but yeah, very on the nose about what it what, what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, cool little things. Look, if you're listening and you've never gone down the minor league baseball rabbit hole, just look at all the awesome teams. Akron Rubber Ducks, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like you could get some pretty sweet jerseys if they sell them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, are there any other things that you think of when it comes to the Masters, or is that kind of the big one? Um, I know a handful of the courses. I don't know them by name, but I know... Sorry. When I say courses, I meant holes. Holes 11 through 13. What is it called? Like, Amen's Corner or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 11, 12, and 13. You know, it's called Amen's Corner. I didn't uh, write that down, but uh, that is kind of a, a famous staple on the course. Uh, the most interesting thing I found with the course design is that each hole is named after the, a tree or a shrub that is associated with the hole. And so you've hole names like Pink Dogwood and Yellow Jasmine and Chinese Fir and Firethorn. I spent a good 10, 15 minutes just looking at all these different species. And uh, I'm a big... Uh, Firethorn fan. Out of all the plants, that was my favorite, I think. But I'm also partial to Azalea, which is a very Wilmington thing for us. Yeah, yeah. Azalea Festival. Yeah, I mean, I like the names. I think that just adds to the history, the allure of, of each hole having a unique name like that. But I feel like each hole, I, I looked on the Masters website, I mean, they've got their own descriptions and histories behind them. I don't know. It's like looking at a... a Formula One's racetrack circuit, I guess you could compare it to. You know, everyone's got their iconic little quirks. Yeah, golfcut.com has a video on YouTube with uh it's the same narrator, but different Masters Champions notes and uh comments on each hole. And uh I don't know if you if you want to listen to that, you know, if that sounds interesting, go check it out. Um, they just kind of talk through each of the holes. Uh I think that was with the cha- it was only like a year ago that it was posted, so it's probably with the either the 2021 or 2022 update. But I thought it was interesting. And because we have to mention North Carolina, if we can, uh, a a brief side note, I found out the bunkers are not filled with traditional sand, but instead filled with granulated quartz. This is also called spruce pine sand, and it is from North Carolina. It gets shipped there. and It's a byproduct of feldspar mines in spruce pine, North Carolina, which is in the mountains. Huh. More you know. Yeah. Who would have guessed? Yeah, I think uh, the company, I guess that is, you know, mined feldspar i think the ceo wouldn't let them charge him for the sand the the byproduct and so i believe like the one of the board members you know lets him play augusta or let him play augusta whenever he wanted and provides passes every year i assume they're still up and running maybe they're not didn't really go looking into it too much but yeah north carolina sand who would have guessed we've got our own claim to augusta you can never take that away from us until you change the the sand yeah so there were you know a few other things that i you know think of when i think of augusta i think of the caddy uniform the caddies are required to wear you know the famous white jumpsuit with the you know green masters hat and white tennis shoes with the player's name on the back of the uniform they're also numbered uh the defending champions caddy is always caddy number one um and the numbering follows by order of sign up as the players signed up for the masters and before 1983, you were required to use one of Augusta Nationals caddies, which by club tradition, I assume it's changed recently. But at that time, club tradition was that it was always an Afri- African-American man. But in 1983, players were allowed to bring their own caddies. Well, you know, the more you know, I'm learning something new every day here. Yeah, it was definitely uh, something that took me by surprise. I don't know what I thought happened before, you know, in the past, but I guess I always assumed players were allowed to bring whoever they wanted as their caddy. But yeah, the more you know. Another uh, kind of famous Augusta tradition is 
the champions dinner, which is on the Tuesday before the tournament. So they hold a dinner. It's only open to past champions and a few board members of the club. And it was started originally by Ben Hogan in 1952. The former champion, as host, selects the menu for this dinner. And frequently, foreign champions will have famous dishes from their home country. Haggis has been served after Sandy Lyle won in 1988. Vijay Singh served uh, seafood Tom Ka and chicken panang curry. The year after he won, Hideki Matsuyama, who won it two years ago, had sushi and A5 Wagyu. And uh, Tiger Woods famously served when he won the Masters the first time in 1997. Burgers, chicken sandwiches, french fries, and milkshakes, which is hilarious. I'm down for that meal, but I'm down for all of these other ones, too. I, mean, I like how golf is international. I mean, I remember when Matsuyama won it a few years ago. I was watching that. And then uh, Singh, he's from uh, Fiji, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So that's cool stuff to share. Yeah. So I think Sheffley, who won it last year, is, well, I guess they haven't released the menu. I think they always like have an article. Someone always releases an article on what the menu is. Let's we'll see what he does. But he is American. So, you know, who knows? Another famous, we'll just say, addition to the Masters is the tournament par three contest. So this is a semi-competitive contest held on the course's par three course, which is only nine holes. It's kind of off to the side. It was started in 1960. Sometimes players have family members caddy for them, and sometimes their caddies will take shots for their player. And I don't know if you remember this clip, but there's you know a video of Gary Nicholas Jr., who is Jack Nicholas's grandson, hitting a hole in one at the Masters for him. Uh, wearing, you know, the caddy suit that was on the par three course. Naturally, you know, you can have people playing for you. In the- <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, a famous thing. And I think there have been 94 hole in ones recorded during this event. And no player who has won this contest won the Masters, you know, the same weekend. People have won it and won the Masters, but it's never been, you know, it's never been a <laughs> a precursor. We'll say. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool little contest. I think it's kind of like a home run derby of sorts or the three-point contest in basketball just festivities to extend the weekend and i mean par threes those are my favorite it's just what clubs do you use because it's so short you're not really driving that far it's all about placement and usually they got a lot of hazards so it's fun i feel like sometimes not on a par three but in general just like the ones that can get you i feel like you know five there's you got room for air um four depending on if it's long or not it might be just a hole you go into and you say, I'm going to part or, you know, I'll try for a birdie. And then, but threes, it's like everyone should, everything should be gettable. And that maybe adds to the pressure. It's like you think of the green as a target and you're on your first shot and you just got to hit it onto the target somewhere. But if you miss, then you're kind of screwed. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's always fun. And I feel like there's always a clip every year of someone doing something at the, uh, at the par three contest. A couple more, you know, kind of very much Augusta things. So typically the tournament starts with a legendary or multiple legendary players taking an opening shot to kind of kickstart the tournament. It was started with Jock Hutchinson and Fred McCloyd in 1963. Some of the greats to take the opening tee shots are, when they all are, but these are kind of some that maybe people will know. Uh, Sam Snead, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, and Gary Player. Typically, former players who do the opening tee shots will do them until they die or until they're physically unable to continue. That seemed to be a recurring statement and I was, as I was reading through when they stopped doing these opening tee shots, um, which is nice, but also kind of depressing. Yeah, yeah. Like the one year a guy's not able to come and then you're just like, oh, hmm, that's not good. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's very nice to, you know, see, you know, legends of the sport coming back and starting that tournament. But if it was ever a situation and there's been situations where, you know, they've been there, they just weren't physically able to swing a club. It's got to be kind of bittersweet. Yeah. But I mean, it's a cool tradition. You're paying tribute to the past and yeah, keep bringing them out. These are the people that what they they won the green jackets before. Yeah, yeah. Big, big deals. Um, I'm sure a long time from now, you know, Tiger Woods will be doing Tiger Woods will be doing that on a regular basis. And the last thing I want to just mention about the Masters is that it's very amateur friendly. Since it was founded by an amateur player, that's kind of been their stance. The U.S. amateur champion plays with the previous Masters winner for at least the two first rounds. And the Silver Cup is presented to the amateur with the lowest score at the end of the tournament. Uh, but to make it to the end of the tournament, you still have to survive the cut on day two. So sometimes there isn't a winner of the Silver Cup. And the way the cut works is the top 50 scores, the players move on to the second half of the tournament. And yeah, I feel like usually it's more than 50 players because the anyone who's tied for 50 moves on too. And if you're an amateur playing, you're allowed to stay in the Christmas, which is on top of the clubhouse. Uh, like they have housing there for you if you want to stay there. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal for any amateur. <laughs> Get to play at the, the most iconic course. Yeah, and I think a few amateur Silver Cup winners have actually won the Masters later, you know, it's which is, I'm sure, very special. Those are the things I kind of think of as like kind of being the Masters things that are kind of specific to that tournament. Um, but since its conception, the Masters has innovated golf, at least in the spectator sense. So the founders knew that to make this tournament something special uh, and something that would thrive long after Bobby Jones's eventual separation, I mean, eventually, you know, you're going to move on and do other things and separate himself from the event. Um, that spectating had to be more enjoyable and more special uh, than any other tournament. And so there are three things that were done to make it special. And these things have been adopted everywhere else. So uh, scoreboards were placed all over the course. And eventually it featured the over underscoring that we're so used to seeing with golf today. Parking for spectators was free and pairing sheets for patrons were provided, which have tee times. Uh, that's what the pairing sheets are. They're usually given to players, but they were given to patrons who they're playing with and who they're teeing. Uh, when do they tee off? And lastly, observation stands were put throughout the course for better spectating during the event. And that's just a normal thing now. But they all started in Augusta. Yeah, I didn't know that they all started there. But those are obviously really nice things. As a spectator, golf isn't necessarily the most exciting thing to watch. But having just the basic things that we think of as basic now to help the experience. And I mean, the scoreboards, that alone, like, I feel like that's necessary. I feel, too, that, you know, you kind of have to make a decision with golf. You know, you either stay in one place and watch, you know, a lot of people play that hole or you follow a card. Right. At least the stands made that an easier decision if you were like, I just want to see the whole field uh, play this one hole. But yeah, I, I didn't know that either. I was kind of surprised that those are started there. But I guess kind of starting late golf's an old sport, starting so late 1930s, maybe, you know, you needed every advantage you could get. It seems to have worked because it's still around and still very big. <clears throat> so in general, that's, you know, the history of the Masters and everything. Lastly, I think we should go over briefly some of the legends who played and won here and finish up with talking about some of the favorites for the 2023 edition. So Horton Smith won the inaugural event in 1934 and again in 1936. Probably not a name most people are familiar with, but he's the original champion and a repeat winner. That's kind of special. He had 34 professional wins over his career. And actually, here's a throwback. The only golfer to defeat Bobby Jones during Bobby Jones's Grand Slam year in 1930 at the Savannah Open in, in stroke play. So 
three uh, <laughs> big things on your resume. I mean, I'm sure that was really big at the time. Uh, if you don't follow golf closely, you probably never heard of these people. <laughs> so next, the next viewer, bigger names, we'll say ones you the average person will know. If we're going to talk about the greatest players in golf, and especially if we're going to talk about, you know, the Masters, we need to talk about often considered the greatest of all time, Jack Nicholas. Nicholas has won the Masters uh, the most six times in total between 1963 and 1986. He was also the oldest player to win the Masters in 1986 at the age of 46. Yeah, I think I knew that he was the oldest, but I mean, six. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> I think he was behind, too, on the last round when he won it in 86. Like, he came back. So, even more impressive. Just iconic. I know, I feel like it's him and Tiger, right? They're, like, considered the two for the greatest ever. Yeah. I think he wasn't as good, like, all the time. But his, like, when, you know, the majors, he has a ton of major wins. And it's kind of... Right, uh, right. It's, you know, I guess the argument is like, do you prefer someone who's won the most, you know, is the greatest the person who's won the most events or the one who's won the most majors? And I think in terms for Jack, he was kind of lights out during majors. But conveniently, the youngest player to win the Masters is also the player who's won the second most, Tiger Woods. The five-time winner is one of the best golfers of all time and definitely one of the most famous athletes of all time. I mean, I feel like everyone knows who Tiger Woods is. Uh, he first won in 1997 at the age of 21, and he won by 12 strokes, which still remains the largest margin of victory in history at the Masters. His most recent win was in 2019, and that was 14 years after his fourth win. Yeah, I mean, everyone thought that he was done, and then he, when he won again, the joke now with ESPN, how does this affect LeBron's legacy? And then there was just like, for golf, you know, how do we talk about Tiger's legacy? Where, where does he rank today? But then he won again after we thought it was all over. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy, too. I feel like, yeah, no one was expecting it. I think that was a few years after he was in, you know, that accident and back was messed up. It's crazy that he managed to pull another one out and uh, separates himself from the third most winning Masters player. Do you know who that is? I'll give you a hint. He's an innov- a big innovator in the beverage world. Well, if you've ever worked at any sort of concession stand where they sell these, you know Arnold Palmer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I personally don't like Arnold Palmer's, but a lot of people I know do. Um, yeah, Arnold Palmer's won it four times, uh, nicknamed the King. Palmer was known probably, for, you know, he was a good golf player, obviously, but for his charisma as well, and was the, probably the sport's first TV superstar. He was active like once it was kind of first getting on TV. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know this until recently, Bobby, but he went to Wake Forest on a golf scholarship. Okay, well... All these connections back to North Carolina. I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was called Wake Forest College at the time. Uh, but yeah, Wake Forest. I, I saw it and I was like, huh. And I, I couldn't determine easily. I probably could have if I wanted to do some math. <laughs> but uh, if it was before it was moved to Winston-Salem or not. Um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Listeners, you'll, you're going to learn so much about North Carolina through this one. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's secretly a North Carolina podcast. And uh, a few more to mention. Uh, so five players have won it three times, including Jimmy Demerit, Gary Player, Sam Sneed, Nick Faldo, and Phil Mickelson. You probably know Phil Mickelson uh, out of all those. Yeah, the, the lefty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are just some of the big you know names who've won. Let's wrap this episode up and highlight some of the favorites for this edition, the 2023 edition. So Scotty Scheffler who's the current champion, as I mentioned before. He's also currently ranked number, the number one player in the world. 
he has two wins in the past six weeks, including the Players' ch- Championship. Uh, the last time a player defended their Masters title was Tiger Woods in 2002. Uh, we'll see if Scheffler can do it. It's, it hasn't been done in 20 years. Maybe it's about that time. Who knows? We'll just have to see. Next up, another favorite is Rory McIlroy, currently the number two ranked player in the world. The Masters is the one title that's escaping Rory. He finished second last year and would be the first player from Northern Ireland to win the event. He has had his up and down results with this event the last three years. He was top five in 2020. Uh, He missed the cut in 2021, which was shocking. And in 2022, as I said, he finished second. Uh, We'll see if he can break that up and down cycle and uh, grab the win. I think this is the only major trophy he's missed, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the one that I guess... um, I don't know how you would address it, but the Grand Slam, like he would have, you know, won every single major uh, after right. this one. I think it's like, you know, the Grand Slam is definitely when you do it in one year. But I think getting one of each or, you know, the career Grand yeah, Slam. the career Grand Slam. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the last favorite we're going to highlight is John Rahm. He has already had three wins in 2023 and he's never missed the cut at Augusta. I think he's been there six times. And it feels like he, you know, he's been playing so well for such a long time. It feels like it may be only a matter of time before he joins uh, Seve Ballesteros, Jose Maria Alazabal, and Sergio Garcia as one of the Spanish players to win the tournament. Yeah, you wouldn't immediately think about it, but Spain's had quite a few golfers like at the top of the game. Yeah, I think Ballesteros and Jose Maria Alazabal have two wins at the Masters, too. Sergio is the only one who has one. So uh, who knows? Um, yeah, or maybe some country that's never won before. Like you said, Northern Ireland, potentially. Uh, I don't know what other countries are at this. I think I saw like Norway was on there. It's just one that I wouldn't have expected. Yes. Um, so kind of the last thing I wanted to hit, while this event has the world following of a truly international event, I feel like <laughs> to some it may seem like another American event that we're covering on a podcast that we say is focused around international sports and sporting around the world. And you could argue the last four have all been American events, NASCAR, the World Baseball Classic, which involves other countries, but baseball is seen as an American sport and the NCAA tournament. And now this, um, the majority of the winners have indeed been American. I think only 26% have been non-Americans. And if you start from Gary Player, who was the first non-American to win in 1961, only 36% of the champions have been non-American. So, Bobby, I have one final trivia question for you. How many different nations have had representatives win the Masters? Win the Masters. Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to say seven. Well, including the United States, I'll just say eight. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, yeah. So if we're including the United States, there have been 12 different nations. Huh. More than I thought. So cool. Yeah. So this is South Africa. Spain, Germany, Scotland, England, Wales, Fiji, Canada, Argentina, Australia, and Japan, which was a lot more than I thought. Yeah, I think once I I realized like, oh, wait, England, Scotland, and all of them, they're considered different nations for golf. So maybe I should have guessed higher, but that's cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, so even though American tournament and primarily won by Americans, I feel like it's about as uh, international as you can get for something like that. And, you know, next week we might have another non-American win. Two out of the three that we highlighted are non-American. So who knows? I'd be really happy for Rory to win. I've kind of followed him a little bit with golf as, you know, I'm not an active watcher, but whenever I see golf's on and I don't know, I, I'm always checking in, seeing how he's doing. 
I don't know what it is. I I don't know if you've seen the video of him on YouTube where he's like competing against a robot to like hit golf balls into washing machines. I think it's like you know some commercial for some like the European tour maybe. But um, I think I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a pretty uh, fun guy to be around, and uh, it's it's funny how we latch on to different you know athletes as you know ones that we pull for. But I personally am rooting for him. Yeah, I don't think I have a favorite in this, but sure. Be the first from Northern Ireland to win. I'll put it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, the best thing you can do for us is share it with people you think would also enjoy it too. The next best thing you can do is to give us a like, a follow, or a subscription on your podcast platform of choice. We're on a lot of them. Please reach out if you want. Our show notes have contact information there. We'll be back here every week with a new episode. Next week's episode is another country profile. Bobby, do you want to give them a hint? Yeah, so country profile, we're going to Europe. <laughs> We've mentioned them a lot in this episode, so you're not getting any other hints. There you have it. <laughs> so tune in, find out what it is, and find out everything about that country. <laughs> Sporting-wise. Uh, and more. We, we do a little bit of background, too. Everything, Bobby? Yes, everything. Every little fact. It's going to be a 10-hour-long podcast, and we expect you to listen to every minute. That's right. We're changing the formula. (laughs) Uh, See you next week. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.